God has given us a lot to celebrate today, and as a church, we have a unique opportunity to continue to press on. The reality is, is that we're never finished until Christ calls us home, or collectively, he gathers a church and takes them with him. And that could happen anytime. The rapture could occur during this service, and those of us who know Christ as our Lord and Savior will be raptured and gathered with him in the heavens, and we'll have that eternal body, no sin, no pain, just perfect in every way. Anybody looking forward to that time, by the way? Um, wow, it's great to receive an award, and it, it is. And, you know, I'm proud of you as a church. It, I'm very proud uh, to have the chance to be able to lead a group of world changers like yourself. It, it's exciting. It's, it's something that you, you always dream about being part of, and I'm grateful that God just gives me a small part as he gives you a small part, and collectively together, we work together and make a strong team. All of us bring in our gifts and talents together. But way too much is at stake for our, in our lives and other people's souls for us to say, let's quit. Let's just coast on these past achievements and let's let someone else continue from here on out. So I'd like to, to just remind us today of four things that if these were the four things that that we could continue to do. If you were to come to me or my pastoral staff was to come to me and say, Jim, what are the four things that you believe that we should continue to do as, as, as Christ followers and as a church? What are the four things that you lose sleep over? What are the four things? And, and if I was on my deathbed, these would be my four deathbed wishes for Grace Community. So just picture if you can, uh, and I know you don't want to picture this, but maybe you do, my, on my deathbed, um, that somehow Jeremiah and Jeremy and uh, Rich and John come to me and, and you know, I'm on my last uh, whispering of, of life and I'm gumming the nurses to Jesus, whatever that looks like. Um, and they would ask, Jim, what are the four things? You know, don't quote any more scripture. Don't tell me any more stuff. Just tell us the four things. And I just picture those guys jamming a microphone in my face and saying, John saying four sentences, Brown, four sentences. What would those four things be? What are the things that all of us have battle scars from as a church? What are the things that have, have impacted me as a, as, a, as a father and husband? What are the things that I have felt along the way? What are the four things that keep me awake at night? These are the four things I would say we must do. We must do. Now, the list could be a lot longer, and there's a lot of good things that come out of these four, but these are four things I believe as a church we must continue to do to remain on mission. So grab your Bibles, and we're going to go on a journey of just four things. The first one is this, very clear. I believe any church that's on mission must love lost people. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. If you need a Bible today, hold your hand up. If you're in the link or in the main, just raise your hand. Our ushers will be glad to put a Bible in your hand. But turn to the back of your Bible near the end. You'll see two books, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And look at 2 Peter chapter 3, and let's read verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, and we'll get a, a snapshot of our Father God's heart and how much he cares about lost people. Stand with me. Let's read that together. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Let's read this together. Ready? Read. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. All right? Now, let's have everybody read. Ready? Second Peter chapter 
3, verse 9. Ready, read again. Ready, read. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You may have a seat. There's a couple things that pop out to me. Obviously, he doesn't want anyone to perish. And obviously, he's slow, not slow in keeping his promise. And it's as if he's saying, I'm going to hold on until your cousin, to your husband, to your wife, to your son, to your daughter, to your neighbor, to your coworker comes to Christ. And the two words that really jump out in the midst of that are, he's not wanting anyone, anyone to perish. And, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. Now think about it. He, isn't, he's, he doesn't want to see anyone perish, and he wants to see everyone come to repentance. That's the kind of God that loves us. Now, is that a God of grace and a God of love? He's wanting everyone to come to repentance. And every doll, every child, every human being that ever lives, God is saying, I'm longing and I'm waiting. I'm not slow in keeping my promises, but I want you to come to the saving knowledge of, of, of knowing who Jesus is in the gospel itself. If we want to be a church that is the hope of the world, then we must lay awake at night and not only think about the people who already know Jesus, who are already gone deeper, but people who don't know Jesus Christ. We must always be a church that's longing to see lost people saved. Can I get one amen out of that? We must always be a church like that. I will scream that from my deathbed. It will be my final shout. Don't ever give up on anyone. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't ever think that the Holy Spirit is finished in changing hearts. But be a place where the lost are loved and gently accepted no matter how messed up they are. Now, for some, that's challenging. And one of the primary reasons it's difficult for some people to, to, to come to grips with that conclusion is many Christians have been saved for so long they forget what they've been saved from. And so we think that everyone else should be where we're at in this sanctification process. Wow, I'm 30 years old in Christ. And we see someone come to Christ or someone that hasn't come to Christ. And we forget way back when someone was praying for us. Way back then someone had our name on unsaved list. Way back then someone was patient with us in all of our sin and all of our men. Way back when, way far away, we were messed up. And if someone didn't love me, I wouldn't be here today. Don't ever forget that. Ever forget that. And the minute you do, you lose your fire for Jesus Christ. I will never forget that someone put my mom's name on an unsaved prayer list. Now, let me tell you something. Had someone not been praying for my mom, my mom would have not gotten saved. I will probably most likely in that journey wouldn't have gotten saved. I am grateful that someone said we need to reach lost people. And so should you. If we ever lose that fire, I'm leaving. Your staff and elders will leave. We don't want to be a church that says we got it all together and this is as big as the body of Christ is supposed to be. When we do that, we are in trouble. Here's the deal. God is willing that none should perish. He is scanning the earth, I believe, right now, looking for incubators for future children. Wouldn't any father want their lost child to be found? Seriously. If your child was lost in the mountains somewhere on the back roads, and they went out for this hiking trip, and you got word that somehow they were 10 miles back 
with no communication. And it was cold. It was going to be cold that night. And there was a chance if they stayed out in these frozen temperatures that they might die. Wouldn't you want someone to go find them? Now picture this scenario for a second. Picture one guy knocking or calling you up and saying this. Saying, you know, I heard your son was lost. So he says, you know what? I'm going to pray for you. Great. I'm grateful that you're going to pray. Now suppose another group says, you know, they'll be okay. Someone will take care of them. But then there's this group that shows up the next morning, knocking on your door. They got ATVs. They got GPS units. They got food supplies. They got spotlights. They have resources. And they say this, listen, all we need is a few more things, and we promise we will find your child. All we need is a few more resources. Can you help us with some resources, Dad? Can you supply some? Wouldn't you go all out of your way, empty your bank account because your child was lost, and say, wow, that group is serious. They're going to do whatever it takes. I will dump my bank account. I will give you whatever you need to find my child. Wouldn't you do that? I think God does the same thing. He looks down on planet earth and he sees all these lost kids. And he's saying, will someone reach them? Do you think God is going to push people to churches that aren't interested in reaching lost people? Do you think God is going to staff resource, give talents, oh, bless them so that they won't reach? Let me tell you, God is looking for churches that love lost people. And you know what he does? He resources them. He staffs them. He supplies them. He gives them whatever they take because our Father God wants lost kids found just like you would want your lost kids found. And that's what a church should be on mission, reaching lost people. The minute we say that the church is only for saved people, we've lost half the heart of the Great Commission and half the heart of our God. And we're saying that what he did on the cross, he didn't want it for everyone. Listen, don't ever go there. And we won't as a church. By the way, I'm pretty passionate about this. This is what keeps me up at night. This is what causes my heart to skip beats. When I watch someone cross from death to life. In fact, in Romans 9 in verse 21, Paul said it this way. He said, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself was cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race. Paul basically said this. He said, if it were possible, I would give up my eternity, my life, so my brother could be saved. Now that is anguish. That is grief for lost people. When's the last time you woke up in the middle of the night just in anguish and sorrow for someone who didn't know Christ? May we always be a church that has that kind of passion for lost people. And the day that grace would ever lose that mission is the day that I leave. And I would guarantee you that every leader here say, we're done. Because we want to be part of always reaching lost people. If you have been with me any length of time, and many of you have, I've been here for 17 years. You will see that we do a variety of things to bridge friendships and relationships. Through outreaches, through blitzes. This building was built with that thought in mind. I mean, we have a track that's 14 laps and makes a mile. We have a women's workout room upstairs, curves unit, that women can come work out. We have a weight room that, that people can come work out. We have a gymnasium that's open Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays, 
Monday mornings and Tuesday and Thursday mornings, afternoon and in the evening, staffed with volunteers so people from the community can walk in these doors and meet a volunteer or a Gracie and bridge a conversation and say, hey, there's a God that loves you. Hey, let me school you on the basketball court, but afterwards, hey, Jesus loves you. That opportunity is there. That's why even when we built this building, the very concrete that this foundation was poured on and the foundation behind me, we had people take and write names on rocks and they were placed in the dirt and concrete was poured on top. This very building is built on rocks of lost souls' names. That's a church that's on mission. The truth of the matter is this. There are many times through the week, I walk into the offices. If you come in on a Thursday, we, f- we give breakfast to people in the community who need food. We give away food vouchers to a local grocery store for people who are hungry. It's staffed on Thursdays. There's times through the week in the mornings and evenings. I'm walking into the office because this is where my office is. I walk in and people look at me like, well, who are you? Why are you what are you doing here? It's as if they're saying, this is my place. This is where I find a place to work out. They know that this building is a community mooring point of hope and love. May we always be that way. We will continue to serve each other with acts of kindness. We will continue to give out Hershey chocolate bars during Valentine's Day to lonely and hurting people. We will continue to do it at the expense of people who love to criticize us. It's amazing the amount of people who will criticize, seriously, over through the years. I just, you just chuckle. You have people who will criticize about something you're doing and you want to ask them, so what is it that you're doing? Nothing. But we're going to continue to reach people for Christ. I want us to be a place that's building homes for dream ministry and for people who need assistance. I always want us to be a home that's on mission and rescuing orphans and sending people to the inner cities of Philadelphia and Chicago to take the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to be a church that shuts its Sunday morning services down when a tornado hits and we storm the premises of Napanee to help out. That's a church that's on mission. You see many times along the way, People will put pressure on you for what you're doing. It just doesn't matter. We're not here to please man. We're here to please God. And may we always be a church that loves lost people. May we always be a church that serves with the joy of the Lord. I have never been part of a group of people who understand service the way you do. I've never been part of a group of people who understand freedom and grace the way you do. You see, the difference is this. We might not have all the answers, and you might not know what sublapsarianism is. And most people don't, and it doesn't even matter. I do, and I never use it. You might not understand every theological understanding of every word. You might not have Greek and Hebrew as a minor. I do, and it doesn't matter. But let me tell you this. We know that Jesus needs to come to lost people, and we can be the agents of hope. That's what matters. My second deathbed wish would be this. May we always continue to have a pioneer spirit. Turn to Numbers chapter 13 in the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 13. May we love lost people, number one. Secondly, may we always have a pioneer spirit. Look at Numbers chapter 13. Men were sent into the land to explore the land of Canaan because God, listen to me, had promised 
to give it to him. He already says, it's yours for the taking. So he says, I want you to go explore this land. I want you to go look at it. That's where I want to send my people. Look how the reports came back. Look at chapter 13 and look at verse 26 of Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Chapter 13 and verse 26 says this. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. Verse 26. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They said, this is what we found in the land. We're given our report. Verse 27, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are what? What's the word? Power. For when the cities are fortified and very what? We even saw the descendants of Anik there, the eight-foot people, the Amalekites who live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Gigabites, the Amorites, the Mosquitoites. All the bites were there. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land. For we can what? What's the word? Certainly do it. But, verse 31, the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored, they said. The land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. I love what the text says here. It says, but Caleb silenced the people. So there must have been this chaotic murmuring. It's like, they're big, they're huge, let's run. Screaming and saying, God, we can't go there, even though he already promised to give them the land. And it says, Caleb, this old man silenced the people. I don't know if he grabbed his fingers and went (gasps) and whistled. I don't know if he took a drum and beat on it. I don't know if he just started yelling, but it says he had to silence the people. And once he silenced them, he said this, certainly we can do this. All it takes is one person who believes that there's a living God and he's powerful. All it takes is one leader with a pioneer spirit with a hatchet in his hand say, with God it is possible. And the truth of the matter is this. As Caleb knew going into this land, God said, I've already given it to you. The word of God says, we've already won. All we need is someone to believe that and lead that. And that's what you will always need, someone And grace must always have a pioneer spirit. What do I mean by that? Don't be a settler. Don't go to your trophy case and say, remember back in junior high when I used to be able to run three miles without breathing hard? You watch people now, it's like, I remember I used to be able to do that. Well, get back in the battle. Pick your body back up and start running again. Who said you had to quit? And if we ever quit as a church, then all we're doing is settling and moving into mediocrity. And that's when complacently, complacency settles in. Be the guy, be the woman who goes deep into the wilderness where the mosquitoes are that big. And take your thermocell with you. 
and walk through there and take on any oncomers so that people can find Jesus. Yes, you will have scars. Yes, there will be battles. Yes, you will be bruised. But for crying out loud, what better place to get scarred and bruised than for the the calls of Jesus Christ? Do you agree? What better place to do it than there? Seriously, when I look back over the history of grace, some of the scars along the way, I got scars from like, you remember when we used to have overhead projectors and you would put slides on them? It's like, I remember we brought out an overhead projector and we wanted to write some words on this overhead projector. People were mad. It's like, they would say stuff like, well, we can't sing off the wall. You can't sing off the wall for crying out loud, no. Or we need these, we need quarter notes and notes to put on the words so that we can understand better. I remember thinking, anything I remember from music is every good boy does fine. That's all I remember. We don't need quarter notes and half notes and cleft palates, whatever they are. We don't need them. We just need to sing and engage God. There are bruises all over me and your leaders from playing movie clips on a Sunday morning, from the building plans that we drew up with a pencil. Somebody heard that somehow I was drawing up a building plan on a pencil in my office. A guy that kind of laid out, well, that can't be from God. That was your pencil. Holy cow. You'll never know until you're in your trenches. And most of you know because you are in the trenches. But those battles and those scars are so worth it. Most will never know the battles and the scar battles that I have from Fight Club. You'll never know. But when I see the men whose lives have been radically changed, I say, for crying out loud, quit looking at yourself and look at those changed lives. You will have paddle, battle scars when you pioneer ministries, and it is worth it. But for crying out loud, think about the bruise and the blood and the life that our Savior gave for us. I believe the local church is the hope of the world. So we'll do things that are unique, and we'll have dad fests, and we'll have mother-daughter events, and we'll have married couple dances in the local church. Imagine that. Imagine that you bring two people who love each other, who are together for life, they're married, and they dance together to music, that all it is is words and some musical notes that are attached to it, and they're enjoying each other, they're loving each other, it's beautiful. Praise God for moments like that. Thank you for those three that agree with me. And two of them were men, way to go men. It's nonsense, the stuff that people want to throw bombs at you with. We will always be a place that rescues orphans and does blitzes and feeds hungry. You know why? Because our Savior was a friend to sinners. It would be a sad day that this church would stop taking risk for Jesus. When this church decides that we went deep and up into the wilderness, I'm packing up my bags and I'm leaving. We will always march deep into the wilderness because people need Jesus Christ. And as long as I lead, you will probably see things done differently. I love the spirit of most people at Grace. We can agree to disagree about stuff because there are many here that say, you know what? That's not how I would do it, but praise God, we're doing something. And praise God, there are lives being changed. Let's march on together. That's the spirit of a pioneer. 
we will always listen to the Holy Spirit. And we will always look a little different. And for some, that might be challenging if you come from other church traditions. We will always do it in such a way, in a way that God is leading us. If you long to bring your past into this church the way that you wanted to do it, listen, you might get upset. But listen, it's not about us. This is Jesus' church. And people need Jesus. We will try to join what God is already doing for such a time as this. We don't want to implement some outdated principles that God is no longer using to advance the kingdom. May our ears always have a a turn towards heaven. And, And may, whether we're turning to our left or our right, may our ears hear a voice behind us saying, that is the way, walk in it, Isaiah 30, 21. By now you will see that the majority of your leadership, I would say all your leadership is wired as pioneers because we still believe that it's possible for God to radically change someone's marriage in life. We still believe when your marriage is against all odds and her heart is hard and his heart is hard by the power and authority of Jesus Christ and the, the, the unction of the Holy Spirit and the saints of God praying together, there's a chance that could change. And if you ever stop believing that, you've lost your pioneer spirit. Even the early story of grace. Praise God for the 64 people my first Sunday who said, we're not giving up. We believe there's more that can be done at Grace Community. Praise God for those pioneers who gave blood, sweat, and tears and said, I'm going to trust this seminary grad who has no experience to somehow help lead us. And praise God, I am grateful for the early few that were willing to do that. Had it not been for them, many of you and many of your kids wouldn't know Jesus Christ. Can we thank the early pioneers? We will always do things differently. Not just for different sake but to do it in such a way that will reach people. And by the way, you might be frustrated by the fact that we don't have a bunch of committees. We don't have a bunch of meetings that happen the second and third, fourth Wednesday of the following month, followed by the third Saturday of the following morning. And you might say, why aren't there committees? How come? Because if you allow the committees to drive a ministry, you lose the fluidity of the movement of Jesus Christ. And if you're waiting till the next time someone meets six months from now, by the time you get there, the Spirit of God might be on to something else and you've already missed the movement of God. By the way, I don't know if you knew this. We want to remain as fluid as possible. But do you know what a group of buzzards are called in the Webster's Dictionary? They're called a committee. A group of buzzards is a committee. So people are just waiting around for something to die. And I can tell you, Not that we're against meetings, but if you just meet to meet and have a committee to meet that proves this, and that committee has to go through that committee to that committee, I'm done. We will never see the movement of Jesus Christ if we have committee driven. Grace community is not a safe place. So don't dare think that you're going to come in and sit here on Sundays without somebody finally coming to you and asking you, so what are you doing? How are you sharing your faith? How are you standing up for your marriage? How are you loving on your kids? How can you serve? Are you tithing to the local church? Are you sharing your faith? Listen, this isn't a place to come and sit 
for the rest of your lives, you will and you will be encouraged to get on mission. That's a church that's changing the world. Thirdly, another rock bottom, diehard deathbed wish would be this. May we always be a church where grace and truth and love will flourish. Turn to John chapter 13 in the New Testament. May there always be grace and truth and love, and may they flourish. Look at John chapter 13. Jesus is having this conversation with Peter. Peter, he says in John chapter 13 and verse 31, he says, when he was done and gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified in chapter 13 and verse 31, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Verse 33, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, just as I told the Jews. So I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. And then Jesus said this, a what kind of command? What does it say? New command. I give you. We should what with one another? What's it say? Love one another. As I have what? Loved you. So you must what? Love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you what? Love one another. Isn't that the heartbeat of our Savior? To love one another? To extend grace? Propped up by the truth and the principles of God's word? I long that grace and community is a place where people run to in a time of crisis. That they know that they'll be loved. And you know what? Not only love, but they know someone's going to tell them the truth. And they might not like it at first, but eventually they're going to say, thank you for telling me the truth. Anyone that wants to march on in their walk with Christ needs to hear the truths of God's word. We don't back away from God's truth. So if there's some here today, boy, I hope this is kind of the church that kind of soft pedals the gospel. It's not going to happen here. We believe God's word, and we're going to tell you in love. This is what a Christ follower should look like. And by the way, when that happens, God blesses the church. He wants truth to be exposed. The church that God uses is a mooring point of love in an ocean of, of chaos. Our world is starving for grace. You will see that we much rather err on the side of grace than we would on law. Some people don't understand me. You mean, you're extending grace in that situation? Absolutely. Because you know how much grace I got? Holy cow. Seriously, stop and pause for a moment. How much grace did it take for you, for, for God to cover all your sins? Well, see. <laughs> and how much are you willing to give somebody? We should just dole out grace where people are saying, wow, I don't understand that. And if you get criticized for giving out so much grace, let me tell you, when you stand at the Bema seat of God and he says, this is what you've done for me, I will guarantee he will say, well done, well done, thou faithful servant. We're not here to honor man. We're here to honor God. Our world is starving for it. The majority of the world has been told they don't measure up. Their, their past is so messed up, so tangled in sin or terrible that they could never accomplish anything good. You know, sanctification is a process. We got to realize that. It's so difficult sometimes for some who have been saved for a very long time to be patient with someone who just gets saved. It's like, well, I can't still believe they have that habit. Can you believe the way they talk? They've been saved for five weeks and they're not all cleaned up yet. Can you believe that? We just forget 
there was a long time ago when we had some cleaning up to do. And truth be known, you still have some cleaning up to do if you were really honest. I love the beauty of new people in Christ who come to grace. I love that dynamic in prayer meetings. I'll never forget the first time I prayed with a guy who was saved for two weeks. We were in prayer encounter and he walked in. I had the opportunity to lead him to Christ. And he walked in, I said, dude, one of the first things you need to do is pray. He said, well, I don't know how to pray. I said, well, you're talking to me. It's like that. Oh, okay. So he said, but I, don't, I can't see God. I said, well, he's here. I said, so what you do, you just talk whatever's on your heart. And so people were praying out loud and I, I nudged him and, and, and he began to pray. And here's, here's, here's the gist of what he said. He said, dear God, my life sucks. Can you help my life not to suck so much in Jesus' name? (laughs) Amen. Huh? Amen. That's the heart of someone who's just come to Christ. Is that refreshing or what? Now some of us are just, we go into this oratory speech and I'm like, please just sit down. God, he's saying, I need you, amen. I'll never forget the Sunday of this gentleman came to Christ. It sticks out and it's worth repeating. Many of us have been praying for him. He came from a Catholic background. And when he came to Christ, he was a firecracker because he was a firecracker before. You know, some of those personality traits kind of stay with you. They don't get cut off when you get saved. And they're just kind of need a little bit of refining, you know, just kind of, you need brothers to sharpen them. But he was saved for about five weeks and it was a Sunday morning and he was just fired up. He, he just enjoyed the message and he just had to tell somebody. So we're leaving. I remember I was standing out in the foyer here and I saw him coming. I thought, oh boy, what's he going to say? Because he's one of those guys like, oh man, if, some, if we got these Christianese people around us, they're going to just, their eyes are going to fall out. Just, <laughs> and they're going to say, oh, that's the kind of people that go to Grace Community. And I'm going to say, yeah, praise God. And they're going to say, I'm out of here. Anyhow. He came walking out in the foyer and, and he was so excited. I saw him coming. I knew he had something to say because he always had something to say. And there was about 50 people around me. He worked his way and he says, Pastor Jim, stuck out his hand. He said, that was a hell of a message. Just a hell of a message. <laughs> Just seen the eyes of, you know, the religious people around me. It's like, I want to say, have you ever heard someone say that was a hell of? It's like, you're not going to die hearing that. In fact, if you're spending some time with lost people, you're going to hear hell a lot and a couple other four-letter words. Get over it. The Bible is loaded with people like that, and so is Grace Community. Praise God, huh? Praise God. And for you religious people who don't want to praise God, I pity you, because our Savior spent gobs of time. In fact, he was friend to sinners. And by the way, your sinner. The Bible is loaded with second chance kinds of people where grace and love was given. David, I really am convinced he should have been on Prozac. One minute, David was just strumming on his harp, just playing before it. Another minute, Psalm, he's screaming, God, wherefore art thou? Well, wait a minute, David was over here when you were strumming and you were dancing naked in your speedo and you dropped it. Where's he at now, huh? David was like this. One minute he's throwing a sling. The next minute he's wondering, God, why did you leave me all alone? Give him some Prozac. That's what he needed. But he loved Jesus. I believe David had a chemical imbalance. Praise God for chemical imbalances and praise God for doctors and praise God for salvation. (laughs) Moses, seriously, you're sending your next missions trip 
You're sending them overseas, and you need someone to lead this group. Well, I know a guy by the name of Moses. All right, bring him in. And you sit down, and you talk to him. You say, Moses, well, what's up? Well, I was really angry one time, and there's this guy, and I got to tell you, I, I was so ticked, I couldn't control myself. I killed him. And I hope you're okay with that. Well, I'm not okay with it. Can I lead the missions trip to, like, the promised land? Well, sure, God says. Go do it. Would you let him? Would you let someone who was incarcerated or murder row lead your 19-year-old, your 13-year-old, your wife to the promised land? God did because grace covered his past. Yeah, we say, yeah. <laughs> Wait till they come knocking at your door. <laughs> How about the early disciples like last week? They all scattered. I said this before. I believe this with all my heart. Jesus was the best discipler there was. And when it was crunch time on the cross, all the disciples ran. I'll guarantee you this. There would be many pharisaical Christians today that would have criticized Jesus Christ's discipleship method. They wouldn't have went to his church because look at his disciples. Holy cow. Even the early church, you talk about a messed up group of people for crying out loud. Listen, we need to extend some grace. Now, Paul, just stop there. Can you imagine that interview? Well, yeah, God, I want to be your greatest missionary ever. And, I, and, if, it, and if you just give me a chance, I'm a really good writer. I'd like to write 13 books of the New Testament because, you know, I really write really good. And I was on my way to like this place called Damascus. And man, this, this thing kind of just took scales off my eyes. And, and I saw God. And in fact, it's only been three days ago. Can I get up and preach? Let me preach and tell you people about Jesus. Can you imagine the first message he preached after he got saved? Half the church fled because their cousins and uncles and brothers were all killed by this guy. Now he's saying, trust Jesus. You see, we can read about that, but do we ever extend grace? Jesus does. Lastly, may we always be a church where the wow factor exists. Look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I said this last week and I'll say it again. I would put Grace Community Church and its disciples up against any church. There's no need to do that, but I, I would. I am proud of Grace Community Church. Yes, your pastor is the most sinful person. I mean, Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. Well, he hasn't looked at my life. I, I'll take him up on that one. We all are, but it's by the grace of God that any good comes out of us. Acts chapter two, look at verse 43. May we always be a church where the wow factor exists. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs by the prophets. Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2, don't turn there, I'll read it. It says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. May we always be a place where the Holy Spirit is alive and well and lives are being transformed and people are being prodded and prompted by the Spirit and they move in a moment's notice and miraculous happens. People are healed. People are saved. There's people's marriages that are restored when everyone gave up, when the numbers didn't crunch and we walk away and say, wow, God, may we always be that place. 
May we always be a place where people are willing to gather on a Sunday morning because it hasn't rained for a very long time and farmers' crops are drying up and we get on our knees as people and we beg God. Three days later, it starts raining and the whole ecosystem changes and we have green grass and green hay and we walked away and even reported in the Elkhart News said that Elkhart County was getting more rain than any county in Indiana. Praise God, huh? Praise God. May we always be a place that leans on him. You see, here's the deal, and I'll wrap it up. No slick, programmed, staffed, talent-led only church can ever replace a spirit-led church. May we always grapple with that reality. God, this is what we can do. But Lord, in order for this to happen, you got to show up big time. And we're putting our necks on the line and expecting you to come through. God, help us today. We're grateful, Lord, that you even give us a chance. God, we're so thankful for our salvation. May we just bask in that today. And may we always be a church that's on mission. May we never lose our mooring point to reach lost people. God, may we always have a pioneer spirit. May grace and truth and love always permeate our lives. And may we always have those moments where we say, wow, look what God did. God, we invite you. We ask you to lead the way. Help us to follow you and listen to you. And may you always be God of this city through us. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.